The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. Marching as to war and more. This is Thursday, May 10th, 2018. Thank you very much for your time and for supporting this independent news through the links for my sponsors and through the PayPal donate button at buzzburbank.com. Our nation appears to be marching toward war with Iran. Our First Amendment right to a free press is under attack. We are surrounded by reports of alleged corruption at the highest levels of government. And that's not the half of it. Tuesday, May 8, 2018, was the day the United States of America lost its longtime standing as a world leader and the day it could no longer be trusted to uphold its own agreements. You could see this coming when candidate Trump threatened to pull the country out of NATO. You could see it coming when President Trump left us standing alone in the world while the other nations of the planet agreed to take real action to slow man-made climate change. But it was on May 8, 2018, just two days ago, that Trump left us standing alone outside the Iran nuclear deal. We could see that coming, too. It was, after all, a frequent topic for Trump on the campaign trail. The Iran nuclear deal gave Trump supporters something else they could blame on Obama, and it was that anti-Obama sentiment that fueled Trump's campaign. It was never likely that Trump would stray from that position. Many tried to move him, including American military leaders, the intelligence community, and the presidents of our most important allies. They offered him alternatives. Trump heard, but did not listen. Trump had a voter base to please and a new national security advisor in John Bolton, the former anti-Muslim think tank leader who's argued we should go to war with Iran. Since Trump and his administration have not outlined a plan B, it would appear the actual plan B is military. Trump further provoked Iran Tuesday by saying the U.S. would increase sanctions on it to punish its backing of terrorist groups and the test launching of its missiles. Iran says the U.S. would regret these decisions, but says it will try to stay in the deal that is still supported by European countries, China and Russia. Iran says it will negotiate with those countries, even without the U.S. at the table. But Iran's president says that if those negotiations fail, his country will enrich, quote, more uranium than before. And in a matter of weeks, there are concerns that such a development would set off a nuclear arms race among Middle East countries. If those talks were to fail, Iran could reportedly have the bomb again in about a year's time, instead of the at least seven years that remained on the deal that included the U.S. Iran's lawmakers have promised to do just that. Iran's lawmakers burned a paper replica of the U.S. flag and chanted death to America. Iran says it sticks by its agreements while the U.S. does not, and it's warning Kim Jong-un to take note of that as he prepares to talk denuclearization with Trump. And with that, Iran, from its military positions in Syria, reportedly fired about 20 rockets at Israel's military in the Golan Heights region, and Israel responded last night by firing 70 missiles at Iranian military sites. It was the first rocket attack carried out directly by Iran instead of one of its usual proxies, and last night's response by Israel was its fiercest since the 1973 war. Aside from the obvious nuclear risk in Trump's decision, there are other equally serious concerns. Our European allies are gobsmacked that Trump actually did the thing he'd threatened to do. From Brussels to Beijing, the stand is the same. They will stay in the deal with Iran, as Iran has said it would like to do. But our allies in Europe stand without us now. And Trump has also made our best allies victims of his decision to not only pull the U.S. out of the Iran deal, but to hit Iran with new sanctions. The thing of it is... Those sanctions don't just hurt Iran. They hurt anyone doing business with Iran, from Brussels to Beijing. After the Iran nuclear deal took effect, businesses from around the world swept into Iran. Germany has 120 companies there now, while 10,000 German businesses have business with Iran. The French airplane maker, Airbus, has a $19 billion contract with Iran, and France's big oil company has a $2 billion deal there. And pulling out of the Iran deal will also hurt at least one big American company, aircraft maker Boeing, which has a $17 billion deal with Iran now. Trump's decision also means the U.S. will stop buying oil from Iran, which will likely drive up gas prices even more. An Oxford economic study projects that gas prices already at their highest point in more than three years 
will go up enough to wipe out any benefit from the Republican tax package as Americans pay more for everything that moves by petrol fuel, including airline tickets and package deliveries. Remember, the Ford Motor Company's recent decision to just build trucks and SUVs was based on lower gas prices. But the greatest danger in Trump's Iran decision is the threat of war, and that will be the subject of Bob Seska's commentary later in this report. Donald Trump has become visibly frustrated by the news coverage of his words and deeds and the words and deeds of those around him. Just yesterday morning, he was ranting again on Twitter about the negative coverage on the fake news, a phrase that's worn out its welcome, especially now that the news has proven to be true. So Trump tweeted that the media is corrupt and added the question, take away credentials? That's a threat. And if Trump carries it out, Fox and Breitbart would still ask questions at the daily press briefings and Trump's news conferences, but ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and others would not be there to cover the words and deeds of this president. Trump had threatened before to strip CNN and other specific individual outlets, but now he's talking about banning all of the ones that report real news. The Mueller probe continues much more quietly than efforts to defend the president and in a much more organized fashion. We learned this past week that the Mueller team has interviewed one of Trump's closest personal friends, Tom Barrack, who was also chairman of Trump's inaugural committee. And that Mueller has also questioned a Russian billionaire who's one of those sanctioned by the U.S. for election meddling. Victor Vexelberg was a close friend of a different president, Vladimir Putin. Fun fact. Victor Vexelberg, friend of Putin, was at the inauguration last year that was organized by Trump friend Tom Barrack. Mueller's team snagged Vexelberg as he was passing through a New York airport, whereupon they scanned his electronic devices while they asked him a few questions. And we now know what Mueller wanted to know from Vexelberg, thanks to exclusive reporting by CNN. Mueller wanted to know about the million dollars in payments Vexelberg had made to Trump lawyer Michael Cohen after the election through the oligarch's U.S. affiliate company. Mueller also wanted to know about the $300,000 in contributions Vexelberg's American company had made to the Trump campaign and the Trump inauguration. Such a transaction would violate the sanctions that had previously been placed on Victor Vexelberg and other key Russian figures if Vexelberg's money was passed through that American company. Mueller wants to know where Michael Cohen got the half million dollars paid into the same shell company that paid off Stormy Daniels. The money poured in after Cohen claimed he'd used a home loan line of credit to pay off Ms. Daniels. But shortly after, he got a half million dollars from a company controlled by this Russian oligarch. And Russia wasn't the only entity feeding money into the shadow company that paid off a porn star, a company owned by a New York taxicab medallion broker and fixer for Donald Trump, who also happens to have a license to practice law. No, Russia was not alone. AT&T also paid the Cohen company that paid off Stormy. AT&T says it paid well over a half million dollars to Cohen's consulting firm to try to get an understanding of the new administration over issues of government regulation and the antitrust atmosphere. But AT&T was paying that money as it was hoping to also get government approval for a merger with Time Warner and at a time AT&T was successfully lobbying for the death of net neutrality. AT&T also says it's been fully cooperating with the special counsel's investigation now. The American pharmaceutical giant Novartis also paid over a million dollars into Cohen's shadow company, and we now know the Mueller team has also been tapping Novartis for information. Novartis now says Cohen reached out to them, not the other way around, and that Cohen, quote, promised access to the new administration. A former senior official at the company tells NBC News that Novartis got its offer from Cohen after the inauguration. And yes, the big American drug maker signed a $1.2 million contract with Michael Cohen, who had promised them access. In return, a Novartis executive got dinner with Trump and his ear after Trump had threatened to cut prescription drug prices. Novartis has also been cooperating with Mueller's investigators. Criminal prosecutors call this pay for play. You may recognize that phrase from when Republicans used it but never proved it about Hillary Clinton in 2016 despite multiple Republican-led investigations. And there were other companies, including a Korean aerospace firm that's been fraught with financial scandal, 
paying into Cohen's company. All told, Cohen, who had complained to Trump about not getting reimbursed for that Stormy Daniels payment, was suddenly rolling in nearly four and a half million dollars. Or he was using his shell company to pass along that money from AT&T and a prescription giant and a South Korean company and a Russian oligarch. But to whom? The judge in the Paul Manafort case is known as both comical and combative. He's tough on lawyers, including federal prosecutors. Judge T.S. Ellis expressed open skepticism about the government's case against Manafort, saying to the prosecutors, you don't really care about Mr. Manafort's bank fraud. You want to turn the screws and get the information you really want for Trump's prosecution or impeachment. Judge Ellis groaned that perhaps Mueller had been given too much power or that Mueller had overstepped his authority. This got Trump's attention. Suddenly, Trump liked a federal judge. But Judge Tillis that day also posed an interesting question that brought an interesting and important answer. Why was the Manafort case being pursued in Judge Tillis's Virginia district while the Michael Cohen case was being pursued in the southern New York district? The answer, prosecutors told the judge, is that the Cohen case isn't part of the Mueller investigation into possible collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, and that is how and when we learn that the prosecution of Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort is about more than just the money that Manafort allegedly got from Russian-Ukrainian interest or possible money laundering or tax evasion. It's about alleged collusion with Russia. The Manafort collusion case goes forward, as does the FBI's investigation of the president's personal lawyer. We have also learned in this past week that the FBI had been eyeballing Cohen's phone records. They had not tapped any calls, as was first reported, but the FBI knew what calls Cohen had been making during its investigation into Cohen's business dealings. One of those calls was a number at the White House. Sources tell NBC News Trump had been advised not to call Cohen once the White House knew Cohen's office had been raided by the FBI, but Trump called Cohen anyway reportedly to ask how he was holding up under the investigation. When new presidential advisor, spokesman, lawyer Rudy Giuliani learned of this, he had a heart-to-heart with Trump, advising him to never, ever do that again. Giuliani warned Trump that the call could be recorded by the FBI. As it turns out, it apparently wasn't. But the call did occur at a time that Trump and his legal team are rightly concerned that Cohen might flip and testify against Trump. Cohen, father of two may be forced to avoid prison considering the massive amount of evidence the feds have collected against him, including data from a pile of Michael Cohen's cell phones. By numerous accounts, those cell phones contained a lot of phone conversations that Cohen had recorded. Michael Cohen has so far shown no sign of flipping. In fact, he says he'll plead the fifth rather than incriminate himself. But if Cohen's legal jeopardy compels him to testify against Trump, in which case he cannot refuse, even if he could still take the fifth on some of the questions. The FBI is investigating the hush money paid by Cohen on Trump's behalf to adult film star Stormy Daniels and Playboy model Karen McDougal. The FBI is also looking into reported efforts to suppress the Access Hollywood tape in which Trump bragged about grabbing women by their genitals. And the FBI is sworn to turn over to Robert Mueller anything they find that might be evidence of collusion or obstruction in Mueller's investigation. From the moment Rudy Giuliani was named as a new attorney on the Trump-Russia team, I reported his role would be more that of a voice for Trump on TV and less as an actual lawyer. And then Rudy Giuliani, America's 9-11 mayor and once a federal mob prosecutor, began his TV defense of Donald Trump. It hasn't gone well. Mindful of his new boss's preferences, Giuliani first appeared on Sean Hannity's show. It had to please the boss to see his new guy at work condemning the Russian probe and comparing former co-workers of the Justice Department to Nazi stormtroopers in their Russia investigation. It had to please Trump when Rudy called James Comey Judas. The boss had to be very pleased when Giuliani said that Hillary is a criminal who should go to jail and who should, at the very least, be under investigation by the Justice Department. Editor's note, Secretary Clinton has already been investigated by the Justice Department and by Congress repeatedly with no criminal findings. Remember, Rudy's job is spokesman more than lawyer. Unfortunately for Giuliani and Trump, Rudy also fumbled on Hannity's show and contradicted and possibly incriminated his new boss. 
Giuliani told Hannity that Trump had fired FBI Director James Comey because Comey wouldn't say publicly that Trump was not under investigation, which Trump wasn't at the times that Trump and Comey had met privately. Trump even tried to get the National Intelligence Director and the head of the National Security Agency to pressure Comey into minimizing the investigation and or to make a public statement exonerating Trump. Although Trump did tell NBC's Lester Holt that Russia was on his mind when he fired Comey, the White House has denied that. It says Comey was fired for his handling of Clinton's emails. Of the multiple things Giuliani appeared to bungle that night on Hannity, saying things a typical defense attorney would never say publicly, the one about Trump's reason for firing Comey appears to be by far the most damning. To fire the guy in charge of what would become an investigation of yourself as president and lie about it, appears to be criminal obstruction of justice. And Giuliani said this without checking with anyone, including the other lawyers who are working to defend Trump in the Russia case. Giuliani didn't tell Trump's chief of staff, and he didn't tell Trump's press secretary. He just went on Hannity's show and revealed the latest real reason that Trump fired Comey. And more. Giuliani had talked with Trump before the appearance, and afterward... Trump would back up Rudy's statements on Twitter, and Trump would come to regret that. Insiders say Trump was not happy with either Rudy or his friend, Sean Hannity, by the time the interview was over. Is the Stormy Daniels case important? Yes. Not as important as the cases for collusion with Russia and obstruction of justice, but if they are ultimately found to have violated campaign finance laws or banking laws, then it's very significant that a sitting president might be involved in illegal activities. Is what's being said about the Stormy Daniels case important? It might be very important later in court, but right now it's a distraction from the more important investigation. That said, here's what's been said just in the past week about the hush money paid to the porn star who might have kept Donald Trump from being elected and why that's important now. In a string of TV appearances that started with Hannity, Giuliani revealed that Trump had sent Michael Cohen installment payments of thirty-five grand a month, even into Trump's presidency, to cover Cohen's $130,000 hush money payment to Stormy Daniels. That revelation makes it appear that Trump was lying on Air Force One last month when he told reporters and the public that he had no idea where Cohen got that money. Remember, this is the same Trump who used to say he didn't know Stormy Daniels. On Fox and Friends, Giuliani went on to make it appear that Cohen had violated campaign laws by paying that hush money to Ms. Daniels and not reporting it as a donation and exceeding the donation limit. Imagine if that came out in the middle of the last debate with Hillary, said Giuliani, adding, Cohen made it go away. He did his job. On Friday, Trump was forced to both contradict and defend himself and his lawyer when typically it works the other way around. Rudy is a great guy, said Trump to reporters as he led into yet another lie. But he just started a day ago, continued Trump, even though Giuliani had already been on the job for two weeks. He started yesterday, said Trump, adding, he'll get his facts straight. He's a great guy. Trump confirmed on Twitter that he had paid Cohen a monthly retainer, which is not a thing in the legal profession. A retainer is a one-time or at most an annual fee, not monthly. This went on for at least a year for a total of about $450,000 at the rate of $35,000 a month. Trump also tweeted the payments had nothing to do with the campaign, that it was a routine reimbursement in a routine non-disclosure agreement. At that point, Trump had taken the lead on incriminating himself, revealing what he had illegally failed to reveal on his 2017 financial disclosure form. There's nothing on that form about this series of $35,000 payments to Michael Cohen. That sizable omission is tantamount to admitting that Trump had lied to the government ethics office about his payoff to a porn star. This is a serious crime with serious penalties. Giuliani says the installment payments from Trump to Cohen were probably part of a general agreement that Cohen, as Trump's fixer, would need a general fund for paying off multiple complaints. The helpful Giuliani said there may have been other women. He's likely correct. At least 19 women have accused this president of sexual misconduct, harassment, and lewd behavior. Trump's threatened to sue each of those women, but two years later, he still hasn't. If Trump knew why he was sending money to Cohen, then Trump was lying on Air Force One. The payment schedule indicates that Trump knew of the Stormy Daniels payoffs months before 
He told reporters on Air Force One he knew nothing about it. Giuliani would soon join Trump in backing away from what Rudy had said on the Hannity show. As Trump and his people continue to change their stories about why Comey was fired and how and why Stormy got paid, Trump also scolded reporters for asking about these witch hunts while the country is running so smoothly. And he insists the stories don't keep changing. He says Rudy had just misspoken. Giuliani declared there is no daylight between what he and Trump have said. But Trump repeated one thing most people believe to be true, that he still wants to sit down with Mueller and put this whole thing behind him, but that his lawyers won't let him. The lawyers whose job it is to protect Trump from prosecutors and from himself. Even if one of those lawyers goes on TV and says things that tend to incriminate a client who also keeps incriminating himself. Like most of Trump's other Russia lawyers, Giuliani does not want Trump talking to Mueller. He told Fox and Friends what they're really trying to do is trap him into perjury, and we're not suckers. Trump says that if the Russia investigation were fair, he'd override his lawyer's advice and have that sit down with Mueller. Parroting Giuliani, Trump called the obstruction investigation a setup and a trap. He said it was a Democratic witch hunt over a made-up phony crime He accused investigators of having conflicts of interest. The 13 angry Democrats, he says, are running the Russia investigation, could face their own criminal charges. Trump says he's not obstructing justice, just fighting back. Trump, by the way, has over the past few days been advised by those close to him to dump Rudy Giuliani, arguing that Giuliani's done more harm than good. Trump is reportedly considering that advice. Again, none of the issues with Stormy Daniels are as important as the Russia investigation, but they provide federal prosecutors evidence in lesser crimes that prosecutors hope will pressure Cohen to tell what he knows. Money laundering and campaign violations, according to one legal analyst, will soon be the least of Trump's troubles. Robert Mueller may never issue the subpoena he'd threatened against Donald Trump. Having collected millions upon millions of documents, Mueller can conclude his investigation without Trump's version of the story, and he may have to. Giuliani was on TV again Sunday morning saying Trump doesn't have to obey any subpoena because he's the president. We don't have to, said Giuliani. He's probably wrong about that. Trump's legal team would have to fight a subpoena in court. That fight would likely land in the Supreme Court, which, despite its conservative majority, would likely hand a win to Mueller and a defeat to Trump. And if Trump were to be interviewed or deposed or ordered to testify, He can declare presidential privilege and or plead the fifth. Trump's legal teams made it clear the president will refuse to be interviewed, refuse to be deposed, and refuse to testify using any means available. Trump doesn't mind a good fight, including this one. If nothing else, it will galvanize his supporters to vote in the midterms. More about those prospects still to come. Unless Mueller carries out his threat to subpoena Trump, he may have to finish the investigation without Trump's side of the story. And now the Trump-Russia case has gone international. Russia is now a player, entering a plea of not guilty to charges it waged information warfare on the 2016 presidential election in the U.S. Two lawyers from a Russian company, accused by Robert Mueller, appeared in federal court and entered a plea of not guilty. Russia pleads not guilty. Russia is now a player in this case with lawyers in court. Mueller has accused all these Russians and Russian companies of meddling in the election and specifically stealing the identities of U.S. citizens to post propaganda on social media. There is one other Russian company named in Mueller's indictment and 13 Russian individuals. So far, Russia is showing up in court and pleading not guilty. And this is still not the half of it. While all this has been going on, Republicans in Congress have continued to undermine and derail the Russia investigation, even if it means derailing the U.S. legal system in the process. That story, Schneiderman et al., the week's corruption roundup, and Bob Seska after this. Increasingly these days, we have to pay for something we used to get free, the news. This news comes to you without a paywall and without corporate ownership, and it's free. So again, a quick reminder here to do your online shopping by using and bookmarking the Amazon link at buzzburbank.com. This production gets a small commission from Amazon when you do, so it's very helpful to shop through that link for home, school, church, and office. If you'd prefer not to use my Amazon link for any reason, please support this free newscast through the PayPal Donate button just beneath the Amazon button at buzzburbank.com. And thank you. 
The facts are these. Republicans are demanding that Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein turn over to them unredacted documents on the investigation. Republicans say they smell fish and they're demanding transparency. In truth, they want that uncensored data from an active criminal investigation, the kind of data no law enforcement agency in any case or any jurisdiction is willing to share since a leak could squirrel the investigation. It could also endanger the life of an informant, and the FBI and senior intelligence officials have now urgently warned the White House of this danger in Nunes' demand, according to the Washington Post. The Post says the White House has complied with that warning so far, but that Republicans from Nunes on are still pushing for information they might use to tip off Trump's White House lawyers. From a constitutional standpoint, Nunes' attempted raid on classified investigation materials is a severe breach of separation of powers between two branches of government. It's very likely Republican lawyers want to know what's going on in the investigation so they can tip off the president. Republicans also like the idea of putting Rosenstein in a corner. He either hands over the goods or comes off looking insubordinate, always solid grounds for a good firing or impeachment by Congress, which have both been threatened. Nunes is also going after another of the president's targets at the Justice Department, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Nunes also wants to hold Sessions in contempt for failing to hand over classified material from the Russian probe, even though Sessions appears to have nothing to do with the day-to-day of that investigation. So far, the answer Nunes has gotten from justice is that it cannot turn over information on specific individuals in a national security investigation. The Justice Department response points out endangering the lives of informants and damage to foreign relations and compromising the investigation. Nunes says getting that information is, quote, very important, even though he hasn't said what it is he's looking for from Sessions. Nunes has accused both Sessions and Rosenstein of stonewalling. Devin Nunes is not giving up, quote, regardless of whatever fantastic stories the DOJ and FBI spin, end quote. Nunes has so far gotten solid support in his derailment efforts from outgoing House Speaker Paul Ryan. Republicans are pressuring Rosenstein to hand over information he will never release, and now the president has joined in this intimidation of his own Justice Department. When a Justice Department's under fire from Congress... The president usually stands by its side. In this case, the president has sided with Congress against his own Justice Department. A rigged system, tweeted Trump. Why so much redacting, he asked, not knowing how investigations work. At some point, Trump wrote, I will have no choice but to use the powers granted to the presidency and get involved, not knowing, apparently, what those powers are in these situations. No, Trump and the Republicans are going after Rod Rosenstein, laying the groundwork for ejecting him as Rosenstein staunchly defends the Russia investigation. And Republicans will tear down the halls of justice if they have to to do it. I'm not supposed to be involved with the FBI, said Trump in an interview last fall, continuing, I'm not supposed to be doing the kinds of things I would love to be doing, and I'm very frustrated by it. Trump defender Devin Nunes has also been working lately on contempt charges against Rosenstein for not turning over the FBI's notes that inspired the Trump-Russia probe, the notes without the redactions. We're not going to just hold in contempt, said Nunes. We have a plan to impeach. The odd part is Rosenstein allowed Nunes to see those documents at a secure location, but Nunes did not use his time to read Nunez never cracked the folder in front of him on the table. Instead, Nunez was followed by a parade of Intelligence Committee members. They would read it so that Nunez wouldn't have to. Nunez also did not read the FISA warrants on Carter Page that he criticized so heavily in February. He relied on staff members and his fellow Republican congressman and committee member Trey Gowdy to read them and fill him in later. Nunez has done the same on his mission to get rid of Rod Rosenstein. Rachel Crooks was the receptionist, the director of First Impressions at a company that did business with the Trump Organization. When she had occasion to meet the man himself, he took her hands and asked, as he kissed her on each cheek, if she'd thought about being a model. And then, according to Rachel, he kissed her on the lips, only the second man in her life to do so at the time. Rachel Crooks is one of the 19 women who have accused Trump of unwanted sexual advances. And Rachel Crooks 
He's now the Democratic candidate for the Ohio State House of Representatives after running unopposed in the Democratic primary this week in four states. Rachel Crooks will now face a one-term Republican in a red-leaning district just outside Toledo this fall. But she's already gotten more than 1,500 individual donations. Vice President Mike Pence's older brother Greg, meanwhile, won an Indiana primary Tuesday night. Greg Pence he is now the Republican candidate for an open congressional seat. He says his goal is to further the agenda of his brother and his brother's current boss, Donald Trump. But it was a bad night for Republican office holders seeking higher offices. It was also a bad night for the more extreme candidates in both parties. It was a night instead for victories by mainstreamers and moderates. It was, however, as expected, a good night for female candidates. An increasing number of pundits say the best solution to the Trump problem isn't prosecution. The best solution, they say, is in the midterm elections that are now just months away. Assuming the public is outraged enough, as outraged as it would appear to be, a blue wave would take away one, if not both, of Trump's houses of Congress. The blue wave is a likely thing at this point, but not a sure thing for November 6th. Trump and his Republicans have a plan to galvanize his supporters and Republicans at large to make this usually sleepy midterm congressional election about saving the Trump presidency. Their message, voting for Republican candidates for House and Senate seats is more about protecting the Make America Great Again president than it is about the person who'll spend the next few years representing your state or your district. Through his own team, Donald Trump is making these congressional elections about him. That makes him happy. That makes Steve Bannon very happy. I want Trump on the ticket in every district, said Bannon in a recent interview. Bannon told Republican candidates, you have to put Donald Trump on the ticket. To voters, Bannon said, you're not voting for Congress. You're voting for Donald Trump. Mainstream party officials are saying the same thing. Democrats, meanwhile, can take heart in the news that, by the Washington Post's count, dozens of House Republicans who have cruised into office in past elections are facing tough challenges from well-funded Democratic opponents. Democrats so far are hauling in huge numbers of small donations, and the money's adding up. Observers say it looks like rough seas ahead for Republicans. Even Republicans are saying this. Democrats may also be relieved to know that 70% of independent voters support the Mueller probe and 65% of them support the investigations of Trump's business dealings. Even in the Trump-friendly Quinnipiac poll, 58% of independent voters say the Mueller investigation is fair. With an energetic base of Trump supporters and an energetic resistance, the election that six months from now will be all about turnout. Probably a record turnout for a midterm. After 16 months of laying low and saying little, First Lady Melania Trump burst onto the scene this week to finally announce her agenda, the well-being of children in the U.S. Ms. Trump had earlier briefly mentioned a goal of tackling cyberbullying, but her plans were vague at best and bizarrely ironic considering her husband may be the king of the cyberbullies. She has named her campaign Be Best, not Be The Best or even Be Your Best, just Be Best. Ms. Trump's platform has three seemingly disjointed parts, physical and emotional well-being for kids, opioid abuse, and again, cyberbullying. Her husband declared it Be Best Day. But it's always wiser to watch the Trump administration and what it actually does than to listen to what it says, and Melania's well-meaning initiative for kids is no different. While Melania was in the Rose Garden talking about protecting children, her husband was preparing to cut off $7 billion from the children's health insurance program that would let millions of American kids continue to get the medical attention that they need to have that physical and emotional well-being. While Melania was in the Rose Garden talking about protecting kids, her husband's attorney general was announcing that undocumented children entering the U.S. with their undocumented parents will now be taken from the parents, separated from their parents, as a standard operating procedure, as a matter of policy. That's actually not true, according to the nation's immigration director. In a separate speech that day, he explained that families are only separated when there's reason to think the adult is not really the child's parent or when the parent is being prosecuted for a crime. Still, the Trump administration had already broken up 700 immigrant families, and now Jeff Sessions was saying it's the official policy of the U.S. government. Even if it isn't, it's apparently the thought that counts. 
There is a real focus here on brown-skinned immigrants and refugees in what Sessions calls a crackdown on crime. Now some 70,000 Hondurans who were allowed to live here after a hurricane in Honduras in 1999 are being told they have 18 months to move to a country they no longer know and maybe never knew. 10,000 Central Americans were killed in that hurricane, so many of these Americanized Hondurans have no family to which they can return. And it's not just Hondurans. 200,000 Salvadorans have also been told to get out, and 50,000 Haitians and 9,000 people from Nepal. Now nearly a third of a million Central Americans and Haitians have been ordered out in a mass deportation sent to countries they are unprepared to handle and countries that are unprepared to handle them. Over the past six months, senior U.S. diplomats in Central America have warned the Trump administration that dumping all those people on those countries could destabilize Central America and actually bring a new, bigger wave of immigration. The Washington Post has now reported on those warnings and how they were ignored by the administration. That mass deportation occurred as Trump was killing the DACA program that ends deportation protection for nearly three-quarter million more people. And now, if you come into this country without papers, your infants will be pried from your loving arms and your family will be separated. Of the Hondurans headed to the U.S. to escape the people who'd killed their families back home, Session said, we're not going to stand for this influx. You are an evil, evil man, shouted a protester. Sessions responded, if you don't like that, then don't smuggle children over our border. Yanking babies from mothers is now U.S. immigration policy, according to Trump and Sessions, as is cutting the health care money for children who are citizens. While Melania was in the Rose Garden handing out a pamphlet to outline her own social campaign. What Melania may not have known is that except for her photo and the new title, Be Best, it's the same pamphlet that was handed out by the Obama administration four years ago. This is the second time Melania and or her staff have been caught plagiarizing the work of the Obama White House. In this era of breaking news that was once certain to shock us, we've become somewhat numb and think nothing can shock us anymore. And then we are shocked again by something like this. New York State Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, a leading voice in the Me Too movement and prosecutor of Harvey Weinstein, has resigned now that he, too, has been accused of sexual abuse, violent sexual abuse. As a state senator, Schneiderman introduced a bill to make strangling a woman till she passes out a felony. He's been endorsed by the National Organization for Women. Four women who've dated Schneiderman, three of whom say they loved him, say he pinned them down, choked them, slapped them hard, punched them, and spat on them during sex without their consent. He reportedly called one of them his little brown slave and forced her to call him master. Two of the four women have given their names, and all of the women's stories are supported by other people they had told about the violence back when it happened. None of the women kept photos or evidence, and none filed complaints with police, so Schneiderman is not yet at least facing charges. But the women did talk with respected reporters at New Yorker magazine, the same reporters in the same magazine that broke the Harvey Weinstein story. Schneiderman resigned within two hours of that breaking story and within an hour from the moment that New York's Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo said he should resign. Schneiderman denies the accusation, saying everything was consensual, including what he called role-playing. Schneiderman's ex-wife seemed surprised by the news, calling him a loving friend, father, and husband for 35 years. Schneiderman is now under investigation by a special prosecutor, and he has been replaced by the state's Solicitor General, Barbara Underwood, who will serve as acting Attorney General for New York until the November election. The Me Too movement will continue, and perhaps even more strongly, without Eric Schneiderman. But Schneiderman was also at the forefront of another movement where he may be missed much, much more. As New York State top prosecutor, Schneiderman was considered the backup for the Mueller investigation. It was Schneiderman who had called on other state's AGs to follow his lead in pursuing the multiple investigations of Trump and his associates. It was Schneiderman who taught us that state charges could kick in in spite of any presidential pardons. About Donald Trump, Schneiderman had once tweeted, no one is above the law. That has now been tweeted back at Schneiderman by Donald Trump Jr. and by his father's vocal supporters. 
Republicans had given a free pass to Roy Moore, Rob Porter, and Bill O'Reilly while targeting Eric Schneiderman and Al Franken. Gotcha, tweeted Kellyanne Conway. Because Schneiderman has left the public eye so quickly, this Republican schadenfreude may not last long, but the Trump faithful are so far still grabbing this opportunity, some even trying to tie Schneiderman's scandal to special counsel Robert Mueller. But the lawsuits against and investigations of Trump by the New York Attorney General's office will continue, and they will continue with a Democrat at the helm. A week from tomorrow, there'll be a special session of the Missouri General Assembly. Lawmakers in the Show Me State have voted to hold an impeachment hearing for their governor, Eric Greitens. He's accused of blackmailing a woman for sex, computer tampering, misusing the donor list from a veterans charity, all to raise money for his own campaign. The blackmail charges relate to Greitens snapping a nude photo of his mistress without her knowledge while she was blindfolded. That photo was Greitens' alleged blackmail leverage. Greitens is Republican, so putting him on trial in the Capitol will be difficult at a gut level for the Republicans who fill most of the seats in that Capitol. But quoting the Republican Speaker of the Missouri House, we will not avoid doing what is right just because it is hard. If Greitens is impeached, Lieutenant Governor Mike Parson takes over, at least until the current term ends, nearly three years from now. While we are on this painful subject, Bill Cosby and Roman Polanski have finally been ejected by the Oscar people. The Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Sciences has expelled the comedian and the Oscar-winning filmmaker. After decades of delaying action on Polanski, who pleaded guilty to raping a 13-year-old girl, the recent ejection of Harvey Weinstein made Polanski's removal and Cosby's necessary to avoid charges of hypocrisy, or further charges of hypocrisy. Polanski directed Rosemary's Baby in Chinatown, as well as The Pianist, for which he won Best Director. Polanski didn't show at the Oscars to collect his statue that year because police were there waiting for him. Polanski has lived for decades outside the U.S. where he cannot be arrested by American law enforcement. Cosby, meanwhile, who is 80 and in poor health, has been sentenced to 10 years in prison. The female governor of Iowa has signed into law a bill that bans abortion after six weeks. It is our new toughest abortion law in America, and like its predecessors with that title, it may not be around long. See you in court, says the regional Planned Parenthood director. Iowa's Republican lawmakers say the state will back its new abortion law in court and hope the challenges go all the way to our conservative-leaning Supreme Court with the ultimate goal of overturning the court's Roe v. Wade decision that legalized abortion in the first place. Here's this week's alleged Trump world corruption roundup. There is more evidence this week that Trump himself may be in violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution, the clause that bans government officials from accepting payments from foreign governments. The concern of our founding fathers was that a government official might impose policies favorable to that foreign government while ignoring the needs of American citizens. The government of Qatar has just purchased one of Trump's New York apartments for $6.5 million. It's the fourth unit that Middle Eastern country has purchased in the Trump World Tower near the U.N. All told, Qatar has stuffed $23 million into Trump's pocket just from these five units. Officials of the Qatari government say they picked a Trump building not to curry favor with the president, but because of its proximity to the U.N. Location, location, location. The governments of Afghanistan, India, and Saudi Arabia also have rental space in Trump's building each at nearly a quarter million dollars a month. As reported here before, Trump did not divest himself of his business interests as presidents before him have done. A lawsuit alleging an emoluments violation was thrown out by a judge who said it had been brought by a special interest group. Now, a similar lawsuit's been brought by the Attorneys General of Maryland and the District of Columbia. Next up in the alleged corruption roundup, EPA Director Scott Pruitt. We now know at least two of Pruitt's planned trips overseas were arranged by lobbyists, both working for foreign governments. Last year, Pruitt went to Morocco in a trip planned by a lobbyist who was quickly hired as a foreign agent by Morocco. We now know Pruitt was also going to Australia until Hurricane Harvey hit Texas, changing his priorities. That Australian trip had been planned by a lobbyist for American businesses operating in Australia, oil giant Chevron and ConocoPhillips. 
Prior to that, he'd been a foreign agent for several other countries. This lobbyist, Matthew Friedman, also worked on the Trump presidential transition team, but got fired after getting caught using his business email to conduct government business. But Friedman also has a job in the Trump administration as a special government employee, which means he can continue running his consulting firm while working for U.S. taxpayers. And we conclude the roundup with Ezra Cohen Watnick. Donald Trump has personally ordered the Justice Department to hire Ezra Cohen Watnick. That's interesting, since Trump has railed many times in all caps about leakers. Ezra Cohen Watnick was forced out of the National Security Council last year for leaking classified stuff to House Intelligence Committee Chairman and Trump waterboy Devin Nunes. Now Trump himself wants Cohen Watnick back on the job, and Democrats are worried that Cohen Watnick will try to derail the Mueller investigation from within the Justice Department since his leak to Nunes didn't work out. Quoting Senate Democratic Leader Chuck Schumer, Mr. Cohen Watnick must not come anywhere near the Mueller investigation. I open today's show with the apparent threat of war. That threat is also foremost in the mind of and deja vu for Salon.com's Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. Donald Trump made perhaps his most fatal foreign policy blunder so far this week by signing a memorandum authorizing the U.S.'s resumption of sanctions against Iran violating the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA, also known colloquially as the Iran deal. Trump's horrendous screw-up aside, the timing is more than a little creepy. To fully illustrate what could happen this year, we have to rewind 50 years. While stepping off a helicopter on Hill 471 during the Battle of Quezon, 1968, 25-year-old Army Captain Max Cleland spotted an unexploded M26 grenade on the ground, and believing it to be one of his own, grabbed it just in time for the grenade to detonate. The devastating blast annihilated Cleland's forearm and both of his legs. Military doctors later amputated what remained of Cleland's limbs, leaving him with one functioning arm, a one-way ticket out of the Vietnam War, and a lifetime confined to a wheelchair in exchange for his dedication to serving his nation. Cleland emerged from the war with multiple decorations, including the Bronze and Silver Stars, and in 1971, he began a decades-long career in public service, beginning with his serving in the Georgia State Senate, then as Secretary of State of Georgia and Administrator of Veterans Affairs. And in 1996, Cleland was elected to the U.S. Senate. A war hero like Max Cleland could have held his Senate post for multiple terms, even while representing a red state, despite his being a member of the Democratic Party. But his career in Congress was fanatically roadblocked in 2002 by the Bush administration, specifically by Karl Rove and the Republican challenger for Cleland's seat, Saxby Chambliss. Those of you old enough to remember will likely recall the 2002 midterm election and how nearly every Democrat running for or holding office was at that moment in time, an endangered species given the knee-jerk patriotism of post-9-11 America and the GOP's branding of everything red, white, and blue. Like many Democrats in 2002, Cleland opposed the Bush administration's plans for an invasion of Iraq in response to the 9-11 attacks a year earlier. For his opposition to President Bush's military whimsy, Cleland was targeted for ouster by Rove in the Chambliss campaign, and the strategy was breathtakingly horrendous. The centerpiece of the campaign was an infamous television ad in support of Chambliss, which inconceivably linked Cleland with Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden, the dual supervillains of that era, while also outrageously questioning whether Cleland had the courage to lead. Prior to the ads dropping, Cleland was comfortably ahead of his challenger in the polls. In the days and weeks following the ad, however... Cleland dipped behind Chambliss and was ultimately defeated by a six-point margin. He later told CBS News that the election had triggered his PTSD from the war. Chambliss went on to serve two full terms, retiring after the 2014 midterms. Cleland, who left three limbs in Vietnam, was politically euthanized by the Republicans using a familiar early 2000s cudgel. Cleland was an unpatriotic terrorist sympathizer for his opposition to what became the Iraq War, and therefore this decorated American soldier was unfit to serve in the Senate. He was publicly disgraced by the GOP establishment as well as by an opponent, Chambliss, who received a deferment from the Vietnam draft due to an alleged bum knee from an old football injury. In other words, the draft dodger Republican was the true patriot for supporting the war, 
but a triple amputee and Vietnam War hero wasn't patriotic or courageous enough for re-election. Worse, Cleland was named as part of a rogues gallery that included America's most visible enemies at the time. Fast forward to present day. We don't yet know exactly what's next with Trump and Iran, but if history continues to suffice as a litmus test for future events in this backwards age, there's a very strong possibility the president's timing of his Iran deal decision might have been orchestrated to coincide with the 2018 midterms, not unlike the lead up to the Iraq war 16 years ago. Trump's options with Iran are now quite limited. Negotiating a new deal with Iran seems like a long shot given how Trump's reneged on the first one despite Iran's faithful compliance with it. But I don't think a new deal is Trump's goal. With crazy John Bolton barking into Trump's ears, it's entirely possible the White House is looking for a pretext to invade. Worse, Trump and his disciples already believe, contrafactually, that Iran is cheating on the existing deal, allowing Trump and Bolton to make the claim that we have no choice but to invade in order to stop Iran's WMD program. Does this sound creepily familiar? It should. On top of using an Iran nuclear weapons program as a pretext for war, Trump has already labeled Iran as a state sponsor of terrorism, providing the you're either with us or you're with the terrorists accusation against anyone who dares to oppose the run-up to war in Iran. It's also damned obvious. If the dual motives of WMD and the global war on terrorism are in play, and there's no sign that they're not, Trump might be prepared to attack Democrats with the same vigor the Bush administration and the GOP used against American patriots like Max Cleland. Thanks to the drumbeat for war in Iraq and the labeling of good men as terrorist sympathizers, the Republicans were able to flip the U.S. Senate from 51 to 49 in favor of the Dems to 51 to 49 in favor of the GOP. The Republicans also picked up seats in the House where the pre-election balance of power was similar to where it is today. The Republicans controlled both chambers until 2006, and in that time, the Bush White House was rubber-stamped all along the way by Congress. On the other hand, 9-11 was a long time ago. The terrorist threat isn't nearly as significant as it was following the worst ever attack on American soil. Consequently, it's a little more difficult today to exploit the post-9-11 fear that pervaded the nation. And hell... Trump might not be thinking this deeply about Iran as it relates to the midterms. It's worth bearing in mind, though, what the specter of WMD and terrorism can do to motivate the warmongering vote. It's happened before, and it can surely happen again. So if Trump and his flying monkey start screaming about mushroom clouds, hang on tight. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thank you, Bob. Get more of him at Salon.com and Tuesdays and Thursdays on The Bob Seska Show at RealmNetwork.com. Join me with him there every Tuesday. News you don't hear much about. The leaping spider, the leaking brain, and finders keepers in the third and final segment up next. Cut the cord and get the Heller Bluetooth earbuds from TweakedAudio.com. The Hellers are wireless to hook you up with your favorite songs, phone calls, and podcasts like this one. And the Hellers stay in your ears with five hours of use and 100 hours of standby time between USB charges. The Heller has a built-in mic, a storage pouch, and comfortable gels in three sizes. Tweaked Audio's wired earbuds come in a range of colors. You can even get buds in sets of two or three. And Tweaked Audio earbuds just sound better. You certainly can't beat the prices for this level of quality, guaranteed. And the shipping is free anywhere on the planet. And because everything sounds better on Tweaked Audio earbuds, you can get an extra one-third off their already great prices if you check out with the code BBNC at TweakedAudio.com. Thank you for supporting this news through TweakedAudio.com and my other great sponsors and through the donate button at BuzzBurbank.com. In news you don't hear much about, the U.S. State Department has filed a formal diplomatic protest with China. China's pilots used lasers to injure the eyes of our pilots in the skies over Africa. China has established its very first overseas military base in Djibouti, not far from an American base. These lasers are known as dazzlers in the war business. They project powerful beams of light meant to disorient enemy pilots with temporary blindness. China calls the U.S. allegations groundless, it's good to make note of these things for possible future reference. Trump's military parade is still on, and the expense has now been covered in the new defense spending bill passed by Congress and signed by Trump. It'll be this November with a theme of honoring the troops. Tanks and other such vehicles will not be allowed. 
The estimated cost of Trump's parade could be as high as $30 million. The House chaplain's back. The Catholic priest who was told it was time for a non-Catholic to lead the chamber's daily prayer and was then fired by House Speaker Paul Ryan has decided to rescind his resignation. Ryan fired Father Patrick Conroy for not providing comfort to House members in need shortly after Conroy prayed that the new tax bill would benefit all Americans. And after press reports and a public outcry, Ryan said Father Conroy can stay. John McCain has now said what others dared not when he said, I don't know how much longer I'll be here. McCain's autobiography, The Restless Wave, is also an audiobook in which McCain writes and speaks those very words. That book, due out in less than two weeks, includes McCain's hopes for the country to return to its mission, a mission that made the U.S. unique among nations. McCain took more swings at Trump, singling out Trump's cozy relationship with Russia's President Putin. McCain also says he regrets choosing Sarah Palin as his running mate in 2008, or at least regrets not choosing his gut choice, former Democratic Senator Joe Lieberman. What's wrong with this picture? On one hand, unemployment is at its lowest rate in 18 years, a rarely seen 3.9%, and job openings are at an all-time high. There are more than 6.5 million jobs open right now in the U.S., up nearly a half million jobs just in the past month. But the number of new hires is down by 86,000 in the last month, and three and a half million people have now quit their jobs, 136,000 of them just in the last month. The number of people who've given up looking for jobs is the highest it's been in 17 years, and they make up nearly 8% of the entire workforce. And wages are not going up as they normally do when unemployment's down and job openings abound. The last time the economy looked this good, people were getting 4% raises. Not this time. And American workers are nervous and anxious about being able to pay their bills. When asked to rate their financial anxiety levels, the national average was 51 out of 100. That's up five points in the past year, in spite of this rosy jobs picture. 40% of us, in fact, say we're more nervous than we were at this time last year. That worry spreads across all demographics, but baby boomers are doing the most hand-wringing. Arizona teachers, by the way, have now ended their walkout, having gotten much of what they wanted, decent raises, and at least some more money for their classrooms. The robocalls you're getting more of on your cell phone are not just annoying, they are a threat to your personal data. Sometimes we reject important calls because we don't know the number and assume it's a robocall. There's a doctor in New Jersey who wishes he had picked up what turned out to be a call from an emergency room doctor. And this week, Congress, you remember Congress, lawmakers in the House and Senate held hearings about stopping robocalls since that's one of the main complaints of their constituents. A company that offers robocall blocking says the number of robocalls it's blocked is up in the past year, up by nearly 900 million calls per month. The monthly total is now 3.5 billion. Both legally and technically, it's a tough problem to solve. But lawmakers whose ears keep getting bent by annoyed constituents are now demanding answers. For more than 100 years, the Mormon Church has turned to the Boy Scouts of America for developing character and leadership among its young male congregants. That century-old relationship will end on New Year's Eve 2019. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints says it will run its own program for boys from now on. A rift formed between the church and the BSA after scouting agreed to include gay troop leaders. The inclusion of girls appears to have been the last straw. That's another big blow to the new scouting BSA, which will now lose another 20% of its members. When something bad increases by nearly 50%, it's time or maybe past time to take action. The number of pedestrians killed by motor vehicles is up 49% in the last nine years. 6,000 died in 2016 after an all-time low number just seven years before that. In fact, before 2009, pedestrian deaths had been steadily falling every year. This 30-year trend of improvement ended in 2009 as more people started driving SUVs and more pedestrians stared down at their cell phones. Plus, more people are walking for their health. Half the pedestrians who died last year had been jaywalking. 
Officials are considering changes in roads, lower speed limits, more lighting and more sidewalks and crosswalks. Better lighting may be key since half the pedestrian deaths happened in the dark. When Oklahoman Kendra Jackson got a runny nose, she figured it was a cold or allergies, but she says the fluid just kept coming, so she saw a doctor, several doctors, who prescribed what doctors normally prescribe for these things. They tried a lot of things, but the fluid just kept coming. She couldn't go anywhere without tissues, and she couldn't sleep. But by running a tiny camera up Kendra's nose, one ear, nose, and throat guy found the leak in her brain. That fluid was Kendra's brain fluid leaking out, or as it was announced on Facebook in all caps, fluid from her brain was leaking out of her nose. A hole had opened when Kendra's head hit a dashboard in a car accident five years ago. The ENT stuffed some fatty tissue into the hole to plug the leak. Apparently, that plug will stay put, and Kendra of the leaking brain will be fine. And now more fun with science. Scientists at the University of Manchester in England have trained a spider to jump. They've trained it to jump distances small and distances great. They've trained it to jump high or jump low. Jump, spider, jump. They've trained a spider to jump, and that's never been done before for reasons we can sort of understand. The spider's name is Kim, and she is by breed a jumping spider that researchers hope will show them how jumping spiders came to jump in the first place. They say she can launch herself into the air with a force five times her own body weight. The researchers proudly announced that a jumping spider can leap up to six times its body length from a standing start. Good to know. In Florida, a woman awoke suddenly when she felt something cold in her ear. She didn't know how, but it felt as though a chip of ice had fallen into her ear. She grabbed a Q-tip and whatever it was started thumping. The Q-tip pulled out what looked like brown insect legs. It was what we call in the South a palmetto bug. Northerners call them cockroaches. And Katie and her husband had just had the place sprayed for cockroaches. She'd settled into a sense of security until this happened. Katie Hawley had a roach in her ear, and it felt as though it was trying to dig deeper as it made her way to her middle ear. She pulled out about half the roach with tweezers, but went to the ER for professional help with the rest. A nurse put the roach out of its misery with a shot of lidocaine before removing the rest of the bug. Two hours later, Katie was on her way home, stopping at Walmart to pick up an antibiotic, some eardrops, and a pair of earplugs. It took him nearly 46 years, but Dan Gorski of Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, has finally now eaten 30,000 Big Macs. Now a retired prison guard at 64, Don says he's had at least one Big Mac nearly every day since he first tasted that bad boy on May 17, 1972. He's decided he really, really likes them. He kept notes on calendars, kept most of the receipts, and even the sandwich boxes. Don Gorski of Fond du Lac can now be found in the Guinness Book of World Records. He had beaten the old record by more than 1,000 Big Macs. And he says his cholesterol and blood pressure are fine. The latest Avengers movie is now a history-making billion-dollar movie. Infinity War took in another $112 million, bringing the U.S.-Canadian total to $450 million. But it's made a billion dollars worldwide, and it's done that faster than any movie ever before it. That's boosted Disney's profits to more than $3 billion this year, and it's still got another Marvel blockbuster coming in nine days, Deadpool 2 with Ryan Reynolds. But Disney is also grateful for Black Panther, which boosted Disney earnings by 23% this year. No other movie even came close to earning $20 million this week, most of the ticket sales going to Avengers Infinity War. For previews, theaters, showtimes, and tickets, please click through my Fandango link at buzzburbank.com. <laughs> the day he retired was the day he'd won the lottery. Really? A Vancouver man this week won a jackpot over $1.5 million on the same day he'd retired. It was, by the way, also his birthday. In South Korea, an airport janitor found gold in a garbage bin. At the international airport in Seoul, the man found seven gold bars worth $325 million. Officials say the gold was probably dumped by smugglers worried about getting caught at customs. If the owner doesn't come forward to claim the gold bars, 
the janitor gets to keep them since China has a finder's keeper's law. That's a law. And under that law, even if the owner does come forward, which doesn't seem likely, the janitor will still get as much as 20% of the gold value. But Finders Keepers does not apply in Indiana, where an armored car spilled hundreds of $20 bills along I-70. A state police spokesman says anyone who even kept a dollar of that money will be arrested for theft, and the scramble by motorists to pick up the cash was captured on video, of course. In Kenilworth, New Jersey, they have finally found the mystery pooper. Some subhuman human has been leaving a little gift on the football field or track field of Homedale High School every day. A new hidden camera caught the pooper, a 42-year-old superintendent of a nearby school district. He now faces the sort of criminal charges you would expect, and his school district has put him on a leave of absence. Now there really is a sort of Hershey Highway. Tons of delicious liquid milk chocolate spilled from a tanker truck on a highway in Poland near Warsaw. It covered all six lanes of the A2 highway, blocking traffic in both directions. A fire brigade official charged with cleaning it all up says it's worse than snow. They were hoping to use hot water to wash it all away. The chocolate had hardened into a delicious chocolate shell, and the A2 was coated in rich milk chocolate. In Massachusetts, a man's been arrested after he used Play-Doh to thwart the shoplifting security at Walmart. It didn't work, and although the man did get away at first, police caught up with him later by lifting his fingerprint from the Play-Doh. And finally, a woman in Texas found three kittens, three baby kittens, all round and fluffy with disproportionately large ears. woman thought they were cute. She took the apparently abandoned kitties home and tried to identify the breed. They were Bengal kitties, she concluded. And then they started biting people. Multiple people. The kitties are now in the capable hands of San Antonio's Animal Care Services, which is out right now looking for the mama, Bobcat. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thanks for listening and for supporting my sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank News and Comments. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.